the theme <coughs> for these days that we have here together is the liberating uh, truth. And in this talk with you this evening, I would like to address uh, something of what I mean by such a, an ambitious title. It's not um, unusual for us, and it was reflected to some degree in our meeting this morning, to find ourselves in our day-to-day circumstances coming to situations and circumstances which are somewhat unexpected for us. And these circumstances can arise both from external actualities as well as from uh, internal ones. So our life is going by on a certain kind of prescribed flow and rhythm and then the many assumptions which can accompany that uh, flow and one of those which is common for all of us is some anticipation and expectation of what's going along relatively easily and fluidly um, will uh, continue into the indefinite future. And though thoughts might arise from time to time that that may not be the case, but the assumption and the strength of it has much more potency and impact than the actual occasional thought which says, well, things could change, it might not be like this next week, next month, or next year. And so, with the assumption weaving its way into the everyday circumstances of life, it can be accompanied, in the way that I just referred to, with regard to pleasantness. Things are flowing along reasonably well, going along in accord, and one assumes that's uh, how it will be. And the same assumption also, and equally, can go along with regard to the unpleasant uh, experiences of life as well. And therefore, if not the fear, sometimes the dread of wondering how long will it be like this, how long will it go on like this, and the wanting of something to be over. Both, there's a movement in time from past to present. It's got uh, a potency to it, and the very potency of it pushes us into thinking with regard to future. That can be with hope on one side, and it can be fear with the other. And we tend to imagine and believe in ourselves that that push of the past in time onto the present and the thoughts about the future with hope or with fear are independent, objective, realistic kind of thoughts. How do we know that? Who would be so bold as to say that? Perhaps the thoughts which come out in terms of the future 
are actually born out of the pressure. They're not a statement of it. They're not an independent view, oh, this is like this, therefore it will probably continue uh, like this. It's just that the very thought charged with hope and fear is a product of the times, is a product of one's history and circumstances, is an outcome of the impact that's having on us in our life in the present. And when something's got enough impact upon us, it will drive us into certain typical conditioned ways of thinking with regard to the future. And all of us have experienced this to varying degrees or other. And so we can say to ourselves with um, great enthusiasm, oh, I shouldn't be keep thinking about the future. I shouldn't keep worrying about the future or planning about it or building up my hopes and projections about it. Mind can say this to itself with great philosophical conviction and say it uh, equally to others and it seems the moment we stop saying that to ourselves the old mind is back and what's it back? It's back into projecting into the future planning into the future so our life can be like an influence of the past on the present there is the future with a huge open space to it and the mind in that open space of it can put anything into it anything but so often as I say it's coming from the force of tendencies and circumstances nothing independent objective about it the push of the circumstances drives us into certain ways of looking at tomorrow next week, next month next decade, next millennium and some of those Buddhists next lifetime as well they're not sat because this lifetime is not big enough for them to think about so the movement past the present to uh, future and one says is that it? is that it? is that the, the sum total of human existence? Well, for some it might be, and if it is, it's a great pity. (laughs) So what does all this have, if anything, to do with liberating truth? Truth is um, one of those, uh, perhaps one of the most difficult concepts in, in life to ever actually use. In conventional world, with the small t at the beginning of truth, it can be a little bit easier. Sometimes we are looking at ourselves and we say, well, am I an honest person? Am I a truthful person? Or we might look at others and we might ask of him, her, or them, whatever, are they speaking the truth? And, And that truth is reflected in those circumstances with regard to um, an honesty which as much as possible is dealing with uh, facts and there is no purpose or deliberate intention 
or motivation to mislead and deceive. And one says, sometimes we, we want to know the truth. And quite often, one hears both um, many circumstances which you and I would be familiar with, that a person may do something which we feel is unwise, unskillful, um, unacceptable, inappropriate, unfair, or whatever it might be. And there's the event of that, whatever it is. And the follow-up are lies, a deception, or whatever. And some people say, and say with concern and great conviction, it wasn't the event which was so upsetting and hurtful. It was the deception that went along with it. And there's sometimes that you and I, we protest, naturally and understandably, about the facts which affect us in our day-to-day life. But sometimes the more vigorous protest is about the deceptions which are involved. And that, that can occur at the personal level, in personal relationships, obviously, but also it can occur at the larger level. And a favourite target for that, of course, are our beloved politicians. And just when coming back from home uh, just a few minutes ago after feeding uh, uh, my teenage uh, daughter, it said that one of the ministers in our uh, government has just resigned because of some new expose about his um, personal life. And part of the reason that he had resigned is because it was said that he has been one of the strong exponents of conservative values called the family life. And it's that there, what people do with their personal lives in government, I personally couldn't care too much, much, much about, I'm much more interested in what their policies are, which are dreadful enough. And so sometimes there is information which is given to us. There's all sorts of fears and anxieties there, being found out or making a mistake or whatever it might be. It lends itself to a deception and one says, you didn't tell me the truth. And we find ourselves, understandably, engaged in rebellion and protest about that. But we should be very careful in these areas of truth, this is conventional truth, of throwing our stone too harshly at others. A little more humility on our own part in all of these things could be very helpful. Sometimes deception is also on a scale altogether. And what I've got in another scale altogether. And what I've got in mind at the moment are for all sorts of people, but especially uh, young people, teenagers. They have to live under the deception. If you work hard at school, and if you get your GCSEs, and if you pass your examinations, and if you go to university, then when you leave, you will get a very paid job and you'll have uh, a very good career. It's a tremendous deception when in 
this area of Devon, 24% in, in some of the areas of teenagers are out of work. They have been told, do this, do this, do this, do this, and get this, and get this. It hasn't made any difference. Still haven't got a job, and one finds rebellion going on on the street. Why? They feel deceived. The system, the educators, the politicians haven't been truthful with them. And there are various people who can't get work because now they're overqualified. Oh, you won't want this job because you've got too many qualifications. After a few months or whatever, you'll feel dissatisfied and want to go on to somewhere else. And you say, oh, no, 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 no. Take no notice of my qualifications. I'm very happy to accept this job. So, personal deception, public deception, some rebellion that goes on. Say, so what's the truth? What is the truth? What is it to live with the truth? And sometimes when the truth comes in that form, conventional, everyday, human relationship, large or small, sometimes you and I are not too interested to even hear that element of truth. We don't want, we don't want to know. And we resist strongly somebody points something out to us. It can be harsh, it can be judgmental or critical and there is a tremendous wave of reaction which comes from within. We attack back. Well, you say this about me, what about you? We get very defensive, we withdraw or whatever and then after the heat or the withdrawal has gone out, a little bit more coolness in the mind, a little bit more meditative reflection, and we might be saying, actually, there is some truth in it. What the person, the feedback that has just come to me over that telephone call, or in that letter, or in that communication, or what I heard second-hand, actually, there may be something I need to hear. And so sometimes a clarity of mind in life is the ability to sort out the truth of the matter from our reaction. To sort out the truth from our reaction. The truth might come to us and some people's tendency on getting information back, feedback information, whatever it might be about ourselves in this case, or something which we are identified with, can go the other way. Somebody points something out to us, giving us some home truths, as they will say, and then we'll say, oh, they're right, they're absolutely right, I'm the terrible person. I really am awful, I'm useless, I'm hopeless, I'm no good, I'm, I don't know why I was born, it was a, a mistake in the cosmos, and, and this is the proof of it. And so the reaction which comes, in fact, stops us from seeing the truth to understand, we actually conspire with it, and 
add to it and fuel it and reduce any sense of our own worth as a human being. How are we, in conventional world, of listening and sorting out the truth which is clear and beneficial from reaction? From reaction. Not easy. And these practices and the meditation are a definite contribution to finding a steadiness in the face of information, feedback, circumstances which do come to your life and my life and everybody's life. How do we handle situations which come and have some impact on us? There's some information which we actually have a choice about hearing. And what I've got in mind here are uh, life-threatening circumstances, or potentially. Something is happening with one's life. I hear this quite uh, regularly from people. And the question of the future becomes a major area of uncertainty. And thus some people will say, I honestly don't want to know. The person may have this which is wrong with them, or that, whatever, disease, or uh, virus, or or life-threatening circumstance, or whatever. And the, whatever, doctor, medical profession, can say, well, as far as I know, you have one week, one month, one year left to live. It's an interpretation, it's a projection, uh, or whatever. And some people can say, and do need to say, please don't inform me. I don't want to know, and I feel that's their right to be able to say, no, don't give me this information. Uh, because sometimes the information can have such an explosive impact on the psyche and on the emotional life and create so much distress that the person spends a tremendous amount of time trying to recover from the shock of one sentence which says, you have X amount of time to live. And therefore, in anything which is of the matter of understanding or the matter of truth, do feel it takes a wisdom in life and a skillfulness in life to speak, as the Buddha said many times, that which is true and useful. Some people are going around the world who are throwing out their truth left, right and centre and say, well, I can see the truth of where you are and I know what you're like and this truth is good for you or good for us or whatever. And the impact and the consequences of it can be incredibly harmful. Therefore, awareness and wisdom in life is A, to know the truth, is it useful? 
and some things in life are better unsaid. Some things in life are better unsaid. And that's where sensitivity and respect and connection with each other better. And that might mean sometimes going through some confusion. Do I speak or do I shut up? Do I express what I see or do I observe, as the tradition often says, noble silence? And that requires a fair degree of wisdom and understanding to know whether to speak is appropriate or to observe a noble silence is appropriate. In these kind of, um, what should we call them, circles, that's the right uh, word, there's uh, a lot of um, claimants around to truth. The very word T-R-U-T-H has a, a strong, um, often emotive association. And sometimes in religious fields, in spiritual circles, in science, in theology, Buddhology, scholarship, philosophy, or whatever, there are numerous claimants to the truth, to having it, and once having it, organizing it, and spreading it. It's a funny thing, the truth, that people look upon it in this way. You, you, you First of all, you go and get it, and then you, can, then you reduce it to the level of a framework of concepts, and then you package it, and then you flog it, and you promote it. And there are numerous ways that people will do that. And religion, east, west, north, south, philosophy, east, west, north, south, science, etc., etc., all seem to be, have a strong interest in truth and easily have a claimant over it and have the feeling the truth which I have, the I usually feels a bit too small, so it says we have, because if one feels better with a we, royal we it might be at times, but anyway, it's a we, is that we have, and this truth is the truth, or a deeper truth, or a prof more profound truth, or the real truth, or the essential truth. We've all heard these uh, nauseating concepts. And this goes out to us. And then we wish to be reasonably open-minded with life. We wish to lend an ear and an eye on what other people say and what other people write. And then we say to ourselves, but what is the truth? What's the truth? And how come that human beings are in such discord with each other, mentally, emotionally, conceptually, all about what the truth is? All feel assured that they are right, 
and others are wrong, or not necessarily wrong, but perhaps, in kind of Buddhist language, not quite so right. (laughs) And uh, then we say, well, what's the truth? What is the truth? And then with that, what is uh, the truth? We might adopt, as it were, what's become a fairly popular New Age truth. And the New Age kind of truth can be the truth is within you. And we look and we meditate and say, well, my eyes are closed. I'm seeing as deeply within as I possibly can see. Where is this truth which is within me? All I can feel is sensations and thoughts. and things. Where is this truth which is within me? And so, sometimes there is a rejection of outer truth. Too many people claiming. It gets terribly confusing. And then we'll resort to, well, the truth is within. And then we'll take... Um, a few passages by a few of the sages, uh, dead or alive, and we'll say, ah, the truth is within. They said so, they must know, and therefore the truth is within. But any hardcore meditation will have to lend a little bit of doubt to the idea that truth is within. And sometimes we'll say to ourselves, I need to listen to the truth within me. And there's something to be commended uh, about that. But what happens when we are seriously listening within for the truth within to guide us, to direct us, and we find that there are two parallel, simultaneous voices and if it's only two, we're very lucky, which are going on within, and both giving equal direction, with equal determination, equal conviction, and telling us to do opposite things. One says, do it, and the other one says, don't. One says, continue, and the other one says, discontinue. Another one says, start, the other one says, you better not start. And both are there, both seem to be extraordinarily true in the strength of feeling, the conviction and the thought. And one says, oh my God, which one is the true thing to do? And so the truth that we listen to inside of us may have a truth which is opposite to it. And it gets terribly confusing. Oh my, there's two truths inside of me. (laughs) Maybe there are more. Which one is the better one to listen to? And so that one can find, as just as we have exposure to outer truths going on, with great conviction, one goes and discovers inner truths, same determination, same conviction, and telling us different things. And all of this, you and I and every poor human being on this earth 
has to live with. So then people come along like the Buddha, not the only one of course, but use him for a reasonable authority for a moment or two, and he says, truth is one without a second. Truth is one without a second. And one says, what does all that mean? Because there's outer truth and inner truth and sometimes they're together and sometimes they're in conflict with each other. And then this guy comes along in northern India two and a half thousand uh, years ago and states truth is one without a second. Another let's just say, luminary of human uh, history, some of us would consider, would be Jesus. And in the very hours before his death, Pontius Pilate looks at him and it would appear that in the sentencing of him to torture and to one of the most ugliest, vile deaths imaginable, something inside of Pilate triggers his conscience in some way or other and he says to Jesus, what is the truth? What's the truth? And Jesus, in his nobility, maintained a noble silence. Of course, for probably for the mind of the pilots uh, of the world, it had no understanding of what it meant. He had no comprehension of what that silence meant in the face of realizing truth which is one without a second. see, all of this goes on. Conventional truth in its form of language and communication and what matters in life. There's truth sometimes which we can confuse with intuition, various strengths of feelings which arise in us and we look to certain feelings or what we might call intuitions at times to confirm, to inform, to guide, to tell, tell us and that to be the truth. But all of that world is sometimes very agreeable and disagreeable but still hardcore question of it is what is the liberating truth? What is the truth which liberates? And that doesn't fall, I would say, doesn't fall into any conventional category. So in that respect, religion and philosophy and science and the various forms of claimants to truth might well fall short of their claims. What one might say at best is that there is a legitimate and beneficial way of interpreting life. Hopefully, for all of us in our communications on this earth, that there is enough flexibility 
to avoid, to have enough insight into ourselves that in our communications about life it isn't charged with egotism, with self, with arrogance and conceit. You think of any situation in life where human beings have communicated to each other from a standpoint of saying what the truth is. And it doesn't matter what the language is, whether it's religious language or philosophical or spiritual or scientific or whatever, whatever form that you and I speak about, it's not the language that matters, it's what goes with it. What is the attitude? What's the tone of voice? What's the arrogance? What's the conceit? What's the division, divisiveness that's going on with it? That matters as much, I would say, to any conscious and caring person as what is being spoken about. And sometimes, as human beings, we forget that. We are so convinced of our truth. We separate the truth from the attitude. The truth from the tone of voice. The truth from the way of looking and connecting with. And truth cannot be separated from the human being. Never, 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 not a chance. whether it's on so-called major areas of claimants for truth, like those I just referred to, or whether it's you and I in communication with somebody else and we are sincerely interested to get to the truth of the matter. It might make a considerable difference in the way that we approach the matter of truth. Not just the facts, there's a whole human being giving support to them. Some of you during the day, some of us, while we're sitting here in the silence of things, almost for sure, it'd be very unusual if it didn't happen, that in terms of something occurring during the days here, which matters to you. And in that, the relationship to what matters is as important as what matters. We tend to exclusively think what matters is the essential thing. But whatever that is, has a rel- you and I, we, we have a relationship to and therefore the relationship to is as important as the event and if we don't get that clear life is going to be a roller coaster the event matters to us the relationship to it matters as well and all existence is about events and relationship to events And sometimes we're so concerned with the event, we forget the relationship too. How can one approach things 
with wisdom, with clarity. Therefore, relationship and the event really being looked at together. When it comes, I'll go, of course, as the days go by, we'll speak further. When it comes to liberating truth, it's the truth which makes a beneficial difference to one's existence. It's not to be packaged in some religious book or in some scientific doctrine or in some philosopher's mind or whatever. Truth is not to be restricted in such a way. So truth in the way of uh, exploration here is that receptivity which at times in our, our life touches us and it makes an insightful difference to existence. Then one says, oh, one can say here, one is in touch with the truth. Of course, at times, truth comes and it can be hard to bear. You've been with somebody for 10, 20, 30 years and she or he says, well, thank you very much, but at the moment I'm finding the grass greener on the other side of the fence, metaphorically speaking, and sometimes actually and the truth can be hard to bear. So mind is affected by the circumstance. One says, the job is insecure. One doesn't know whether it will be here for next week or month or whatever. The bank account is empty, the health crisis is uh, on or whatever it might be that's in impacting on you or my life. And it would seem the hard truth of life comes. And yet we know in the relationship to it, sometimes the truth which comes, a deep recognition and appreciation of it comes as well. Hopefully at the time. Hopefully quickly. In the listening to teachings in here, in the full group listening to others, it might be that in our receptivity and in our interest, something touches us which has noticeably a genuine, authentic benefit in our life which stays steady with us. It's the truth which liberates. And that might come through language. It might come through silence. It might come through an experience of oneness. It might come through um, a tiny event um, in the nature. It might come through a thought which suddenly registers something very profound and deep. So something which comes to us through eyes, ears, nose, tongue and touch, which comes to us through a communication, comes to us through nature, comes to us from within ourselves 
and it reveals, it shows, it exposes, it provides uh, insight, it wakes us up. This, in these teachings, is called the truth which liberates, the truth which awakens. That truth, not you, nor I, nor anybody can organise. Nobody can own truth, possess truth, and sell it. It's a disservice to the truth which is one without the second. And that truth is the truth which liberates. It is the truth which awakens. It is the truth which enlightens. It is the truth which uncovers and enables us to discover. And the, what you and I can do in all of that is together and individually is provide circumstances and receptivities and teachings and practices and honesty with ourselves and commitment to enhance the consciousness to discover the truth which is freeing and which is consistently fresh. And perhaps in that we pay the greatest respect to life, the greatest respect to truth, in fact, because we don't deceive ourselves in thinking anybody's got it. And once uh, quoted the, the, the Buddha a few moments ago, when he was asked what the truth is, he rather famously in the tradition just took um, a nearby flower and held it up. And a few listeners were rather confused and bemused, and those who understood, understood well the great truth of what he was pointing at. May all beings see into life. May all beings live with the truth of things. May all beings be free. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.